Let's go ahead and read beginning in chapter 12, verse 1, and we'll take it down to verse 4. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. We begin in verse one with those first three words, therefore we also, which links us right back to chapter 11. The therefore is taking us back to a, a thought that's been previously communicated. Chapter 11 was those men and women who walked uh, their faith out in a way that was commendable. And then he adds, we also. So we're to run like our heroes. How did they do it? That is how we're supposed to do it. Um, Think of those that we've talked about. How did they stand in the face of uncertainty? They stood with faith, and this is how we are to do this as well. And, you know, some, I think part of the idea here is, is to draw us into this idea that you're part of this, not just a race, but it's like you're part of a relay race, right? The baton gets handed down from one generation to the next. And this is the line uh, that we are in. And everybody is a runner in the kingdom of God. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you're not sitting on the bench. You are, you have a slot on the, on the course. You are to be engaged, but you're engaging with those that have gone before you. You're, you know, Abraham held the baton, right? And it's been passed down. It's in your hand. It's in our hand today. And that we ought to run well. And so how should we run? We are to run like our heroes. We are to be a part of them. And I think what happens sometimes is like we dismiss ourselves as just being, you know, um, dispensable in the work of the kingdom of God. And so it's kind of like, well, it just doesn't matter how I live. No, it does matter how you live and how you walk and how you run. You are a part of this race. So the we also links us together with them. And then he says, we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Again, I think thinking about those that have ran well, those that are mentioned in chapter 11. But this is a passage that you find difference of opinion on. Uh, Some would say that the cloud of witnesses speaks of those saints that have gone before, that are now in heaven, and they are observing how the church is running her race and how well they are doing. And um, there's a lot of commentaries that would, would agree with that. A lot of believers that would agree with that. And then there are others, and I would fall into this category, that I don't think is so much a, you know, a stadium scene up in heaven watching us as much as it is the way they live their life becomes a testimony and a witness. We are surrounded by that witness of how they live their life, and we should do it as well. Now, I think people can have a lot of emotional attachment to this view because of family. And I will say this, um, whatever view you take, and there are plenty of believers that land on both sides, and it, you know, it's, there's no real consequence here, but it should not be because you find comfort that a loved one has gone before, and that's not the point of this passage. The point is, 
You are called to live and to walk in such a way. What we do know for certain is that there is at least one that is watching us, and it's Jesus. He is watching us. He knows how we are doing, how we are living. And if the idea of a loved one brings you more comfort or more challenge than it does that Jesus is watching, then you need to make some adjustments with that in your heart. It's, it's him. It's like, whoa, wait a minute. Jesus is watching. Yeah, so are the saints. Yeah, that doesn't matter. Jesus is watching. Jesus is watching me. And we know that he is. Read, read um, chapters two and three of Revelation where you find over and over a repeated Jesus saying, I know your works. I know what you're doing. I, I walk in the midst of the church and I am familiar with that. That's what should be. Now, so if, if you are like, well, I'm of the opinion that they are observing, that's fine. And if we get to heaven and you ask one, they said, yeah, we watched you the whole time. Feel free to say, I told you so, Pastor Troy. That's fine. But I'm going to say, I don't care. We're in heaven. So it won't matter at that point in time. This is not, a, this is not something that carries some heavy theological um, impact. Uh, but we are to allow their lives, at the very least, we are to allow their lives and how they lived and how they ran and how they endured to speak to us and inform us about how we are to live. Moving on in verse one, still, not only are we supposed to run like heroes, we are to, uh, how to not burn out. You know, I want to throw two phrases out, burn out and poured out. We are to be poured out, but we are not to be burnt out. Burnout is when we are no longer wanting to do anything for the kingdom of God, and we are done with maybe even Christianity. I got burnt out. I just got, you know, I can't do any more. Well, maybe you were doing things you weren't supposed to. I, I don't know. Only God knows ultimately, and you can discern that. But I know that if you're doing what God has told you to do with the power that he's told you to do it, you'll never be burnt out, but you will definitely be poured out. So if the goal is to keep yourselves from being, um, to work, from working hard in the kingdom of God, you've got a wrong priority. That's, that's not on the table. I just don't want to do too much for Jesus. Well, you want to do everything that Jesus has asked you to do. And in doing that, I will assure you from the word of God, you will be poured out. But here's the good news. Once you're poured out, guess what happens? You get filled up again. The Lord will continue to pour his spirit into you. So, but we don't want to become burned out. And, and I think the way we become burned out is... What we read here, we don't follow this piece of advice. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance. We pick up too much stuff. We're run with too many things in our hands. No serious athlete engaged in competition, especially at a high level, there's no athlete that's going to become encumbered unnecessarily. You don't see runners lining up at the, you know, the starting line in cowboy boots and tight jeans. You don't see that. They don't run that way. Just imagine for a moment. I know it's a ridiculous example, but it's probably not as ridiculous as the way some of us run our spiritual walks. Is imagine that if you saw that in Olympics. Now, Olympics may probably wouldn't even allow it, 
for good reason. But imagine if they, somebody came up there, here they are in these tight you know, shirts and tight shorts and everything's pulled back and all the hair has been shaved off because they don't want you know, the resistance of anything as aerodynamic as they possibly could be. And somebody walks up there with a big old pair of cowboy boots and in jeans. Can you imagine the conversation that would begin to happen? This is disrespectful. They're not serious. They should take this more serious. serious. They don't even deserve a place on the, on the field because of it. this would be the conversation we would hear. And in really, it, it, that's probably accurate. But no athlete who has gone through all the discipline and all the suffering that they have would dare enter the race like that. And this is the idea that we are being called to. It was a practice in um, the, the ancient games, the Olympic games and other games you know, happened in Corinth and so forth, that um, they would not only train without any clothes, but they would actually compete without any clothes. Sometimes it looks like they're doing that again, but they actually didn't have it. You know, when you talk, the word gymnasium means to exercise without clothes. So this is something that their mind would have been able to identify is that we don't run encumbered. An athlete doesn't do this. Now, you know, doing that today, we would call that streaking. They called it strategy back then, okay? So not advocating for it. It's just a little bit of history and how as they were hearing the writer, the pastor exhort them, that they would have said, oh yeah, athletes, I mean, they get rid of any encumbrance whatsoever to, to shame. So if an athlete is willing to do that unto shame, how much more ought we be willing to throw off anything that slows us down, impedes us, or ensnares us in our walk with the Lord? We need to have the athlete's mindset when it comes to our walk with the Lord. He says that we should lay aside weights and sin. Sin is easy to identify, right? Sin being the idea of like bitterness. You're walking in bitterness towards somebody who sinned against you and hurt you and harmed you. And you've allowed that to become something of, uh, you, you tur- how do you know if it's bitter? You turn it over in your heart and your mind. This is not bitterness. You remember it and it immediately causes an emotional response, but you take it to the Lord and you say, Lord, here it is. That's not bitterness. Bitterness is when it comes and you're like, yeah. And then it begin, you begin to stew on it and you allow all of the anger to be fostered by your participation. Listen, there's enough that can just come in a single fiery dart or memory recall of something that happened. There's plenty enough emotion that's engaged in just that, right? But if you then begin to turn it over, this is where bitterness becomes, uh, begins to set in. And, and bitterness is going to hinder you in your walk with the Lord. That's sin. Um, materialism and other things that we can name like this. We want to live a holy and pure life. We know that sin will ensnare us. But he also says that we should lay aside weight. Weight being different, I believe, than sin. It's those things that aren't necessarily prohibited in Scripture, but they are just not good for me. Now, maybe we could say they're not good for us, but let's narrow it down even more. This is not good for me. That relationship is not good for me. Enjoying entertainment or media is not good for me because what happens in my life is that it it begins to trip me up. 
Now he or she over there, that brother or sister, maybe can do it and it provides no hindrance in their walk with God whatsoever. They're able to enjoy that liberty. Let's not be deceived. Not all of us can enjoy the same liberties. One person can enjoy a liberty and then another person, it can become a snare in their life. And so the standard for this brother over here who walks in it without a problem should not be the standard for the brother or sister who is ensnared by it. And so that is the weight that we would cast off. You know, there are a lot of things that could fall into this category. But I'll I'll tell you that one thing that it could be is your career. Your career could become a snare. Your education could be, your pursuit of education and a degree could become a snare. Your family could become a snare. Like, whoa, time out. Family's from God. Family's from God. But do you know what Jesus said about his family when they were trying to keep him from following the call of God upon his life? And they said, hey, your brothers and sisters are outside. They want to talk to you. And said, brothers and sisters, who are my brothers and sisters? You, people of faith that understand what I'm doing, you are my brothers and sisters. So even Jesus had to deal with that. And, and I think family often gets in the way of people's walks with the Lord. Now listen, if you're truly walking with the Lord, you will be the best family member around. And so I, do I think people misuse this idea and even what I'm saying right now and kind of bludgeon others? Yeah, honey, I just can't spend any time with you. I just got to spend time with Jesus. When the reality is you drive me nuts and I can't stand listening to you talk, but you're going to blame it on Jesus. You know, you, you got to work that out, right? So let's not hide behind certain issues that maybe are in existence in our heart and our life and just, throw, you know, blame Jesus. I mean, that's just a cloak for your own sinfulness. The Lord knows. But there are plenty of times where we have to make decisions and family is not going to agree. You may have family who, you know, they're, they're cultural Christians, but they don't get your Bible-believing faith. They don't get the fact that you are willing to follow Jesus Christ and allow the word of God to speak and inform you about your, the decisions of your life, how you think, how you talk, the way you, who you should marry, what the Bible has to say about male and female, about sexuality, about where sex should be taken. You begin to speak up on some of these issues and now all of a sudden family can begin to say things like, listen, You're welcome to come here, but you leave your Jesus and religion outside. Listen, I don't think we should ever be the ones that are casting off family. But if me clinging to Jesus and to the word of God causes family to cast me off, then that is something we must be willing to endure. But this is where the snare comes in. It's because we do love our families, not advocating against that. We do love our families, but when our children or our grandchildren or a, a, you know, a spouse or parents say, you can't bring that here. We don't want to hear anything about this. It's like, well, time out. I have to hear about your stuff. You know, you get to talk about, you know, all of these cultural issues and you get to say what you want to say and you know it's offensive to me, but yet I can't talk about my love and faith in Jesus Christ. And there's this inconsistency that there. But the temptation is fine. I'll just, I'll just bury my Christianity. And I'll never bring it up around you again. Is that what we've been called to do? No, it's not. I don't think we should be cramming it down people's throats. But listen, 
If I'm a Christian, you can't be around my life for very long before you find out that my Christianity just kind of leaks out. I can't help it. It's the way I think. It's how I react. It's, it's, it's how I invest my time and my energy and my thoughts. It's what's important. If you can take your Christianity and just put it in a nice little box and then walk into a, a setting and then you can walk back out and pick it up, I, I, I don't understand that. Because it's a part of who we are. It's not what we do, it's who we are. I'm not doing Christianity, I am a Christian. The spirit of the living God dwells in you. And we cannot go into those situations and be quiet. You know, Peter and John were said to never speak in the name of Jesus again. Do you remember that? And they said, you can think whatever you want to think, but I can't do that. I'm going to speak in the name of Jesus. And so this is something family can become a snare. Um, How many times have people been told throughout the generations, and even on this, you can just be certain that even on today, multiple times a family say, if you become a follower of Jesus Christ, you will have no more place in this house. You cannot come in. Family has always been a big deal. Jesus said, if you love your family more than you love me, you are not what? Worthy to follow me. So I do think we need to have a clear thought about family. And a born-again believer should be the best family member around. But there are plenty of people who don't want anything to do with that. And if they are going to ask you to compromise your faith because they don't like it, then this is a time where you've got to just stand up and speak up and say, listen, this will be your decision, not mine. And so there are all kinds of things that could be uh, a challenge, you know. I mentioned some of them. So we got to be careful. So here's a couple of verses. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12, just in case you're not buying what I'm selling right now. Look at this. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought I will not be brought under the power of any. There's a lot of things you can do, but if it is something that's going to hinder you in your walk with Jesus Christ and it's not going to be helpful, then he says no. 2 Timothy 2.4, no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. We not only are athletes, But here's the metaphor of a soldier. A soldier doesn't get engaged with the things that are around him or her. She or he stays focused on the task of that uh, military operation. You don't want people that are doing those types of jobs to be double-minded, and neither should we. So this is how we are to lead. Now, if you look at your life and you see that's not helpful, it's not sinful, boy, that's not, not only is it not helpful, it's actually slowing me down. It's causing me to not run well. Think about it. If, if athletes are, and I'm not commit saying this is a, a wrong thing at all, but if they're willing to shave their arms and their legs and, and, and get all the hair off their body because they don't want to be slowed down by leg hair, I think that becomes instructive to us of the, what we ought to be willing to do for a crown that does not perish. And that has been 
we've been given a divine mandate on. Don't be careless in your walk with the Lord. Because you notice what he says? We're easily ensnared. Do you believe that? And I think if you look at your life and how you're living, or if I look at my life and how I'm living, that answers that question. Whether I think, it's like, no, I can hang out here and I can hang out there and this is ungodly and that's ungodly. And okay, yeah, sometimes maybe I get caught up a little bit, but you know, it's, you know these are just the things I like in life. No, no, you don't understand how easily you are ensnared. And so we need to pay attention. Still in verse one, we're reading here, uh, how not to burn out. Well, how do you not burn out? You make certain that you're not carrying extra loads, right? Nothing that's gonna slow you down. Um, but also, we run um, the race that God has called us into. God has called us to this race. You didn't wake up one day and say, I think I'm going to run the Christian race. Now, maybe somebody spoke to you, and the Holy Spirit was speaking to you, and putting, and helping, and drawing you unto himself, but it's God who called you and put you in this race. This is not some secondary thing. Listen, if you have a career, you applied for that job. If you're going to school, you put an application in to be accepted. You know, if you're running, you know, a race, you, you had to put your name in there to run that race. But God called you. You didn't apply to become a Christian. God called you. He was the headhunter that went after you and said, I want you to be on my team. And that ought to raise the race and the value of it, you know, to a much higher degree because it's the race that God has called us to. It's the race that these men and women who went before us had run in. Now, if you're thinking, well, you know, athletes make choices about what kind of things they want to do. Not all of them wear that, clo that type of clothing. Not all of them shave. Okay, remember, this is just a metaphor. So, lest you think that you have freedom and flexibility to do whatever you want here, we also are called what? Slaves. That's right. And as slaves, we've been told explicitly the level of priority that the kingdom of God ought to have. From our master himself, Jesus said, but seek ye, what? First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So this is the priority that it should have in our life. It should have first place priority. And if there's anything that has a place that is before the kingdom of God and following Jesus, then by the words of Jesus, that needs to be reprioritized. Let's keep on moving on. How do we run? Well, verses two through four, we run looking to Jesus. The very first, well, the first three words of verse two, looking unto Jesus the, the Greek here is to direct one's attention without distraction, to fix one's eyes. This isn't just kind of like, I'll glance up every now and then, you know, the way you drive while you're texting. Hopefully you're not doing that, but you know what I'm talking about, right? I'll look up at the road every couple of, you know, every, you know, couple of seconds as I'm texting, because this is an important text. Yeah, it's like, and what happens with that? We, uh, you, you know what happens, you get distracted. The first car wreck I ever got in, my, I had my dog in the car. Not my fault, of course. Um, first car wreck I ever got in, my dog was in the car, jumped up on my lap and started licking my face. Boom, right in the back of, actually it wasn't even my car, it was my sister's Firebird. 
she cried over her firebird. And, um, but you know, I, I was distracted. Um, and we all know what it's like when you're moving fast. And you, you gotta pay attention. Well, we've gotta pay attention. And we gotta have our eyes fixed on Jesus without distraction. Because the stakes are so much more than traffic moving at a fast speed or turns in a road. It's, it's our, our eternal life that we're talking about. It's the well-being of other people's spiritual walks with the Lord. And so we need to set our gaze on Jesus and it need, we need to be locked in on him. That's what it needs to be like. I, I like telling Boomer stories. Boomer is my little dog and he is the most arrogant little creature. If a dog could be proud, he is the proudest of all little dogs. It's not a good thing, it's a sinful thing. And um, this dog can lock in, lock, and I, all of them can, but I, and I've had a dozen dogs growing up, and I've never had a dog like this. And he can lock in on you when you have food like you can't believe. I mean, he, he will just sit there, like inches from your face, just watching you. And he won't blink, he won't move, he won't do anything. But if you don't have food, you could call him, you could whistle, you could, do, you could do a cartwheel, and he will go, if he looks at you, he'll go, I don't think so, and walk the exact opposite direction. <laughs> Except for when it comes around, time to eat. When it comes time to eat, I mean, this is Rebecca's dog. But, um, <laughs> you know, um, but when he comes, for some reason, when it comes time to eat, he will come and he'll jump up on my lap. And he's just, he's a little, he's a little 12 pound uh, miniature pincher. And um, so he's a little thing, he'll jump up on my lap and he'll just look at me and then he will lay down on me. He will put his head up and look right at me. I'm like, oh, I think he's changing. I think I finally am getting a place. And Rebecca will say, it's 3.55. He eats at four. <laughs> and, and, but he'll be locked in on me. And they'll say, well, we need to have a boomer gaze on Jesus the entire race. That locked up, not going to miss a thing. You know, the psalmist talks about the Lord guiding us and leading us with his eye. Husbands and wives know about this. Husbands and wives speak to each other. When you can't use words, we use our eyes. And you get, you learn this language. And so... The wife will, will do something to your eyes like, oh, I'm in trouble. I shouldn't have said that. What did I just say? I shouldn't have said that. Or it's like, it's time to go look. It's like, oh, we need to go. Or, and we communicate. And the Lord says that he's going to lead us with his eye. We've got to be looking at him. We have to have our attention fixed on Jesus without distraction. Would you agree with me? There's a lot of things to distract us. There's a lot of things that are not sin. It's just their weights. And we, we have to just figure out what they are. And we have to lay aside, or sometimes it's just a matter of learning how to discipline ourselves because they are not things we can necessarily just throw off, but they're just still distractions. He's the author and finisher of our faith, it says there in verse two. We come to him for salvation. We look to him to complete that salvation. And then we read this of Jesus. 
as we think about looking to him, what do we see about him? Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. He ran with joy in difficulty. We all face trials and hardships. Don't allow the hardships of this present hour to rob you of the joy that is secure in Jesus Christ that does not need one more thing to fall into place to be had. That's what happiness is. Happiness is when you have a set of happenings that come into place. It's like, oh, I'm so happy this happened. And then, you know, two minutes later, you find out, oh, I'm so sad these things didn't happen. And so happiness, based on happenings. Happenings go up and they go down. They change, they come in, they go out. But joy is not based upon the happenings of life. It's, it's based upon the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and his call to you to follow him. That joy does not get affected by anything in this life. And so we should set our hearts on the Lord and allow that joy to, to just feed us and to, to if, you, if you have no joy in your life and you're a Christian, you've taken your eyes off of Jesus. You've taken your eyes off of the Lord. Get them back on the Lord. That isn't to say you won't have disappointing happenings, but the disappointing happenings do not overshadow the joy I have in Jesus Christ. And Jesus went through things. He went through hard things. Did Jesus ever have happenings go on that caused him stress? Yes. The Garden of Gethsemane, we read that his soul was vexed unto what? Death. Those are some happenings that didn't bring him pleasure. But for the joy that was set before him, he endured those things. So it's not that we become, you know, like robots and we have no emotion of of the events of the day or happy or sad, but that we don't let it steal the joy that we have. What else do we find about Jesus here? Well, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He finished the race. He finished what God called him to do, even in the face of trials and difficulties. Moving on into verse three. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Why? Because they were experiencing hostilities from sinners. They were finding family that said, we don't want to be with you anymore because of your faith in Jesus Christ. Consider what Jesus went through. Jesus went through rejection. Jesus went through hostility. Jesus was mocked and made fun of. Jesus was ridiculed his whole life because he didn't have a a father and he had a questionable birth. No, he didn't have a questionable birth. He had a miraculous birth, but they turned it and he dealt with this his entire life. But it did not cause him to become weary or discouraged in his soul. He had endurance. And if Jesus has gone through these things, and he has left us an example of how we should walk. Now, listen, we don't face a ton of persecution in this country. We certainly aren't being fed to lions. But I want to just venture into an area that I, I, some of you, I think most of you agree with you, some of you may not, and that's, that's fine, you can have a different opinion about this. But I, I, I want to give this warning as a pastor. I think we need to be aware of the days in which we live, and we need to see how the culture and the land we live in is changing its ideas about Christianity and its attitudes towards Christians. 
And, you know, listen, uh, this is controversial, I realize. But, you know, during COVID, strip bars were open, casinos were open, liquor stores were open, hardware stores were open. I was there. I wasn't at the other three. But I was at the hardware stores. And, um, but churches were told they couldn't meet. Really? So COVID won't do anything in the casinos and in the strip bars, but it's going to do something bad in the church? Now, listen, I don't know what everybody's intentions and motives were behind these mandates. And let's just pretend like all of them had the most pure and holy intentions and it was only for public safety. Okay, that's going kind of far for me. But I don't know, and you know, I didn't interview these people, but let's just say it was. If that's the case, let me tell you whose intentions were not pure and holy. It's the enemy of your soul, Satan. And if Satan was able to unwittingly use the generation in our government to close down church, then it doesn't surprise me. I mean, there is, again, controversial, but it's the point of, I think there's something going on more than just a virus that happened in our country. I mean, look at the scientific evidence that's out there. You look at it. I'm not going to tell you what it said. You go look at it and you see. What difference did it make? in the overall health and the, and the, uh, of the overall health, not just COVID, but the other things, the o- overall health of, the, of, of, of our culture. You go read what John Hopkins University has. Go, go read these things. You can find out for yourself. There was not scientific ev- hard evidence for doing this. So you may disagree with that, but if you disagree with the overall point here, that we are at a time where we are seeing increasing attacks and, uh, against the church, then just try this out for, for size. Go and tell them that you believe at work that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody can come to the Father except through him. Tell them that you believe the Bible and what it has to say about a biblical marriage between a biological man and a biological woman. And then let them know that you believe that each gender, two of them, male and female, were created in the image of God and that there is no other. And what this ultimately is, if a male was created in the image of God and a female was created in the image of God, this is what scripture says, it's to reflect the glory of God. This is, you just share a few of these things. Tell them that you believe uh, that the child, the unborn child has a right to life. And then find out and see what kind of response you get from the place where you work. I, my point is this. We, whether these things you agree or not are an issue right now, I believe that if things continue on the same path that they are, you're, the Christian is going to be hit as an individual first, and then the church will be um, hit with different challenges, different types of hostility. And I think we need to wake up and, and prepare ourselves spiritually for the possibility of more hostility and more attack. What will we do if we begin to If we don't sign off on where it seems like a lot of this country is going on these issues I've just mentioned, COVID aside, but on these other issues, what if your job is at stake unless you, if you give two thumbs up to this? What are you going to do? What's your choice going to be? And these are the types of things that I think will be the inroads by which persecution begins to come to the church. 
If I'm wrong, I will never be so happy to have been wrong. I don't want that. But I, but I believe that you can feel it in the air. You can see what's happening. And these people may not have goals to attack the church, but Satan doesn't care whether that person is witting or unwitting, as long as he's able to accomplish his goals. So what do we do? We pray. We, we look unto Jesus. We determine how we're gonna live our lives, that we are willing to endure hostility, to endure difficulty. Verse four, the last point, you have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. How far do we take our faith to the death? That's the, that should not be new to any of us in here. Jesus has told us, they didn't like me, and they're not gonna like you. What's that? I'm a nicer guy than you and they killed me. So don't be surprised when you, not so nice a guy, gets killed. Okay? I raised people from the dead. I came to give life. I fed them. I gave them sight. I gave them hearing. I gave them speech. I liberated them from demons. And they said, that's it. We're going to kill them. He says, if they did that to me, don't be surprised. So, my overall point was not to touch on so many of these what are often political issues as much as just to say, pay attention. Prepare your heart. Ready yourself to stand. If they come and they say, you can't follow Jesus anymore. If they begin to um, come and say, listen, as a church, if you speak another word about these things and it goes on the radio airwaves, the license comes from the FCC, we'll take it away. Then you're going to have to take it away because we're not going to stop speaking about these things. You can't speak about these in church or we're going to take away your tax-exempt status. You can have it. You know, well, we're not going to give you Social Security. Now, none of these things are necessarily being done, but these are, in my mind, the ways in which they can leverage against us. It's easier if they come and say, deny Jesus or we're chopping your head off. Okay, that's pretty clear, right? But when they begin to come in through the laws and they begin to come in through this way, that's where I think we can be caught asleep. Let's just determine, I, I don't want to raise panic level in anybody's mind or heart. I'm just saying, be ready to stand for your faith and don't let anybody push you off the mark of running the race called Christianity. Jesus is worthy of faithful followers. Jesus is worthy of you not being distracted by anything else. And so we are told how to run so that we have endurance. You know, Jesus died on the cross. We're about to share in communion. Jesus died on the cross. His body was beaten. His blood was shed. And he said, as you eat of the bread and as you drink of the cup, this is my body which is broken for you, my blood which was shed for you. We are made, we are redeemed through his broken body and his spilled blood. We have the hope of heaven. But as we just read here, the work of the cross not only was effective for providing redemption, the work of the cross is also effective for giving us an example of how to walk, how to endure hostility, how to live with the priorities of the kingdom of God. And so if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this isn't optional. 
This is not like you're going and buying a new car. And it's like, yeah, I want the package that has you know, heated seats and cooled seats. Oh, you're gonna have to step up to that package. Well, no, I don't want those features. So I'll just take this lower package. What we all talked about today, everything we've talked about today is your stock standard base model Christianity. Okay, this is not like super saint level. Um, you know, we're getting the limited platinum edition of suffering. I, I'm not gonna opt for the suffering package. I'm just gonna, you know, I'm gonna opt for the, you know, I just got saved package and don't get much in heaven package. It doesn't exist. Jesus said, we must be all in for him. And that if we're double-minded, that we shouldn't follow. Jesus is worthy, though. And there is no, there's not salvation found anywhere else. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you speak so boldly to us. You call us to a radical faith. You don't call us to some kind of half-hearted, wishy-washy, what-do-you-think approach. You call us to be fully engaged in this walk with you. And Lord, what an honor that you have put us in this race. Lord, that we could go and be associated with those that have gone before us that have ran well. Lord, we are humbled. We are humbled by this. But Lord, we also are determined that we want to run this race well. And so as we ponder these things, Lord, show us where maybe we are distracted, where we've picked up some weights, or maybe we're even... We've even strapped on a few sins. And we're trying to run, but we keep stumbling and falling, and we don't seem to be successful. Lord, show us the need to just take on the bare minimum to put the kingdom first. We thank you, Lord, that you're patient with us. We thank you that even in a moment like this, Lord, you're speaking to our hearts. You're, you're telling us, you're showing us things that we gotta set aside. Who are we that you should have to tell us anything twice? But Lord, you are so patient with us. Your mercy is as high as the heavens and it is new every morning. And that is about how much we need. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Lord, as we receive this bread and this cup, speak to our hearts not only of your great love in redeeming us, but of the great example you left us to follow and how we live life.